well, it's Checkpoint Sunday. Um, for those of you who are new to Into One, Checkpoint is the way we describe um, a pause on our road trip. We describe what we're doing together as a road trip, an earnest pursuit of Christ. And so periodically, we put a checkpoint in there for us to uh, kind of stop the regular rhythm and to, I guess we've made it a regular rhythm, but to, to have a Sunday that stands out that we say we stop again to make sure that we're going where we want to go, that we're on the right path, that we are following Christ in the way that well, that He calls us to, and that we would ourselves like to be in. And it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get off pace. We understand that. And so that's why we have instituted a checkpoint kind of idea. It's this time to stop, to remember what God has done. And so, some days that's really easy. You remember what God's done, and, that, and that's, that's fine. Someday it's really important to remember what God has done because we just feel separated. We feel distant and it's important to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past, ancient past, biblical past, historical past, and our past. What has God done for me? What, how have I seen Him faithful before? We choose to remember that. Then we choose to reevaluate we are, where we are right now. How am I doing in my relationships? How am I doing with my relationship to God? And how am I in my relationship to others? And if you're in a fantastic spot, that's great. Thank God for that. And if there is room for improvement, well, then we choose to make those improvements as well, to not let those things build up, to take steps, to take action, to use words, to build relationship both with God and with each other. And we choose to refocus before we go so that once we've identified that we're out of step perhaps of where we'd like to be, we choose to refocus so that we can once again be in step in the direction we would like to go. So that's sort of the idea of a Checkpoint Sunday. We end with communion. Um, and today, before we do that, we are going to be looking into, and so we're looking into heaven today. Now, the sad irony is that we can be, and you can see this around us in our culture, we can be deeply committed to being a Christian. Tell everyone I'm a Christian. This is what Christians are about but not be deeply formed by Christ. We are formed by so many things, and we just sort of allow it to happen. We have pictures, and we take them from various sources, and they all kind of get plopped together into our experience collage, and everything is treated as equal because, well, that's what I heard, and that's what I saw. Uh, but we are to be formed by Christ into the likeness of Christ. Our thoughts and beliefs need to be tested and tried we need to weigh what we have heard and, and, and test it against our, our, our thoughts and our beliefs. Make them guiding principles. Because I believe this, therefore I will, or therefore I won't. But if we don't know what we believe, then we are willing to add all kinds of different things into our collage. You know, I like the sound of that, so let's toss that in. Huh? Guess that sounds right. We'll just toss that in too. So last Checkpoint Sunday, we looked into resurrection, and I let you know at that time that there is an overlap between the idea of resurrection and the idea of heaven, lots of overlap. And today we're looking into heaven, and that is going to overlap with resurrection. That's just how it works. There, uh, these concepts necessarily overlap. Now, when I say looking into, what I really mean to say is, is, is approaching. Um, we're going to take a peek 
Uh, we're going to try and get the lay of the land. Uh, it's a glimpse into heaven. We are looking into heaven so that it might inform our time here and now and not just later. So heaven is usually, we think about it as the end. And when you hear about the end, you regularly hear about war and Armageddon and fire and destruction and judgment, and that's the end. So what's happening at the end? What does that plan look like? Uh, first, uh, there's terms. We use different words. And so all of these terms are used within Scripture to describe that thing that we are looking at today. So you would hear Scripture say uh, paradise or heaven. And don't confuse heaven with heavens. Um, there's the kingdom of God, and then there's the new Jerusalem. There's the new heavens and the new earth, all these different terms that are used. Somewhere in those terms, you get the idea of destination. But where is it? And then, think about this a little bit, okay? Is God talking about relocation or renovation? Who is doing the moving? There's an absolutely huge game changer here in terms of our thought and understanding. Who is moving? What's the plan? Well, to start... I thought it would be helpful to think about who made the earth. I'd say, well, God, right? God the Father. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the land and the sky. After He made it, did He like it? Yeah. He said it was good. He said it was good a number of times. This is good, and it was good. And he didn't just comment under his breath, like, hey, oh, I kind of like that. All creation was good. He declared it, and he declared it repeatedly. So the question I have for you now is, has he changed his mind? Should we stay or should we go? Do we leave earth or go to go to heaven? Or is heaven... A place on earth. Uh, it's 80s music. I'm not sure if you noticed that as, as much as I did there, but 80s music, who knew that was going to be a key part of a heaven discussion? Uh, consider what we know about God and creation, okay, and His creation. God made it, right? He said that it was good. He said it a number of times. How does God treat His creation that He called good? I mean, it's an important question for you to wrestle with because you were created by God too, remember? You are His creation. How does He treat you? And I submit to you that, this, uh, that God's plan for the world relative to His world, for His people relative to His world, is not abandoning it, but transforming it. Not escapism, but landscapism. That God's plan of redemption is necessarily one of renovation and not annihilation, renovation of our hearts, our lives, our bodies, and our world. Through our resurrected Lord, what's filthy can be cleansed, amen. What's sick can be healed, amen. What's empty can be filled. What's twisted can be straightened. What's weak can be strengthened. What's dead can be made alive. Redemption. All this can be redeemed. God made earth and said it was good, but all of earth is damaged by sin. 
all creation groans, right? So in, in, in the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.21, he says that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, death, and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 23, not only so, but we ourselves, we the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, asking about animals in heaven reveals a lot about one's eschatology, and eschatology is just a fancy word that means the study of the end times. Since the Christian hope is a renewed creation, of course there will be animals and plants and all manner of things befitting a creation liberated unto glory from the bondage of corruption so that once again it is good. We've begun to taste that goodness in the redemption of God, and we also, along with creation, are longing for the completion of God's great renovation project, His restoration project. We are longing to be fully and completely redeemed. We have the sense that it's, it's already begun. It's already, but at the same time, it's not yet. The kingdom of God is like wasn't Jesus telling us what heaven will be like someday after we die? It was a way that Jesus was telling us to live such a way that impacts our day-to-day -day life while we live right here, right now. We are on earth as it is in heaven. My kingdom is not of this world. It does not mean that Christ's kingdom is merely spiritual or heavenly or moral or ethereal. It means primarily that His kingdom is not worldly. It does not follow worldly principles. It does not employ worldly tactics or seek worldly ends, but also so people can't say, oh, there it is. There it goes. Those people, that's them. The kingdom of God is a spiritual one. Yet, even right now, you're probably struggling internally with the well-ingrained, but heaven is up and hell is down mindset right? Have you heard that before? I mean, of course you have. You look up, and as soon as you look up, there's inspirational strings music, bright light shining through glorious clouds, and if you look down, oh, there's deep bass and discordant rumbling darkness and fire. This concept is largely medieval, up and down, with some thanks to John Milton's Paradise Lost and Dante Alighieri's Inferno, famous literature, famous poems and plays that you have been influenced by, even though you didn't realize it. Maybe you've never read them, but your culture has read them, and they use those images for you. But those separations, they don't just happen somewhere in the Middle Ages. Those separations were common in the New Testament. And in the new, uh, the early church as well. It was a, a big problem then, and it remains a big problem now. The fancy word that we use to describe this is Gnosticism. That's a school of thought based on the Greek word gnosis with G as the first letter. It's knowledge. It's the word. It's the truth. It's the essence. So in a super fast, overly simplistic fashion, here is a kernel of Gnostic belief that you might recognize as it relates to us, okay? The essence of truth is spirit and is corrupted in physical form. 
The only way to get to real truth, the big truth, is to gain higher and higher levels of esoteric or hidden knowledge that bring you ever more into a spiritual plane so you get enlightenment, higher understanding. You've heard this kind of stuff before. It comes from a number of different religions as well. And our quick summary, just so you can recall, is flesh, bad, spirit, good. Okay? So heaven is good, therefore it must be spiritual because anything and everything physical is bad or at least tainted. This has shaped thinking for hundreds of years. The Apostle Paul's teaching on the flesh and the spirit When you have this mindset, it confuses people. What's he really saying? And so we get to Galatians 5, and he's speaking about our natures, right? The fleshly nature driven by appetites, or the spiritual nature driven by the Spirit. And he's using language that was common at the time, but redefining those terms. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The enemy is not your physical body, but what Paul is describing in the physical, in the physical appetites, when, when they're given reign over your living, over your choices, over your desires, instead you are to be governed not by your attitudes of the flesh. You're to be governed by the Spirit. And that's how you should make your, your choices. That's how you should live. That's how you should make your decisions. We say, follow the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So we take that, that idea we have a practical application. Paul gave us this, um, this image in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to try and make it even more practical. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right, but against the powers, against the principalities, against the rulers of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. So one way that you could express that in this very particular specific example, the enemy is not the people. The people are using the enemy, being used by the enemy. The enemy is violence, the spirit of violence, and disunity, the spirit of disunity. So you can't stop evil with evil. You just make more evil. The spirit of violence is an antichrist spirit. The spirit of unity is the spirit of Christ. So take it a step farther. Watch how this relates to bringing life into the kingdom of God on earth as we live right now. What are we doing? Any attempt to advance the gospel, to push forward the good news, to bring about the advance of the kingdom of God, if we do that through the apparatus of the state, legislating it, forcing it, demanding it of others, instead of advancing it through love, through witness, through reason, through spirit, through self-sacrifice, is to forsake the cross of Christ for the sword of the emperor, for the sword of Caesar. We choose empire over the kingdom, and that's been our issue from the beginning of time. It's the recurring temptation to bow down to the tempter. It's not just the destination, but the journey that's important. It's not how you get there and not just where you get. It's about how you get there, not just how I got those confused. It's a fragile God, though, who needs a nation to preserve and enforce their will. 
It is a powerful God who was born in poverty, partners with peasants, washes feet, heals the sick, advocates for the oppressed, speaks truth to power, and is unjustly killed, and still changes the entire world. That's how our God works. He redeems and He restores. He restores and redeems us, and He restores and redeems all of creation. So the final resurrection and life eternal are a main foundation of a Christian's hope. And if those ideas or your thoughts about them are not hopeful for you, you have un- understood it incorrectly. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery, okay? We will not all sleep. Remember, we learned in looking, for resurrection, looking into resurrection that the idea uh, of calling death sleep showed the firm hold of resurrection in early Christian belief. Not a later concept, but here, right at the very beginning. Sleep is only temporary. Death is only for now. But we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. It's our hope. The dead will be raised, not the spirits of the dead will float away. That's a Gnostic belief, not a Christian one. God promises to restore the physical creation that He brought into being and called good. 2 Peter 3, 13, but in keeping with the promise, with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The great news is that God is not just concerned with the earth, but He's concerned with humans also. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15, according to the Lord's Word, this is Paul speaking, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Again, Paul's referring to Christians who have already died. 16, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, bodily, resurrection, not spirit, departure. 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. 18, therefore, Encourage one another with these words. This is encouraging things, and that's what we're supposed to do. Encourage each other with these words. The Lord Himself, Jesus, called the Christ, will return Himself. He will come for us. There's warfare imagery. There's battle language in there, a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. There is authority. Our champion has come. Our hero returns. Our Savior comes to complete the saving. He arrives. N.T. Wright says, Western churches continue to think about going to heaven or going to hell as the framework for the gospel. But the Bible story is not about us going somewhere, but the Creator God coming to live with us. He brings heaven to us. His presence full and unfettered is the experience of light and life and love. 
Then later, we get that fleshed out with John's experience in, in, in Revelation. Christianity offers a unique hope for the world, not eventual nothingness, which is secularism, and not simply a spiritual paradise, which many other religions claim. Christianity promises a renewed, perfect, physical world, a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. For He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Five, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We jump down to verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of single pearl, the pearly gates. The gold, the great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. 24, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. 25, on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. This is our glorious hope of heaven. Transformation in us. Transformation in our world. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on His creation. There is restoration. There is redemption in the most complete sense of those words. And He comes to be with us. When He comes, heaven becomes where He is. That's what happens when He comes into our presence. And this unity, this community with God is what we are to be constantly about, bringing about the kingdom of God, bringing it to life, animating it in us and around us, using the Spirit of God, allowing the Spirit of God to use us to work transformation in people around us, in relationships that we're in, the relationships that we meant to be in, and the relationships that sometimes we just get put into. Working together in partnership with the Holy Spirit of God, bringing together, bringing to light, bringing to life, bringing into existence this kingdom of God. So that unity, that community with God is what we are constantly about, and it's the reason um, part of the reason, anyways, for the gift 
that Jesus offered us, that the physical, the spiritual practice of communion acted out with the 12 apostles first, but then we are told to participate in this. The apostle Paul describes it um, like this for us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, something incredibly physical, 24, and when he had broken it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, something very physical, and saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Until He comes. That is the hope. That is what we live in anticipation of. His full, complete return. Until then, we have been given the gift of the Spirit, which empowers and enables us. So when we celebrate communion, we are trying to tell the whole story. All those little parts, claiming again that the physical is not inherently evil, but infused with the spiritual. They are together, made holy by God. And as we choose to ingest we're saying that's what we want to come to life in us. And as we do it, we're reminded to remember Christ, to remember His story, to remember His death, to remember it, but to proclaim it, to remind each other of it. And in that, be given hope, reminded of our hope that He comes back. We are not on our own. He returns for us. And that which has begun, He will complete in us and in our world. We have hope, powerful hope, in the big things, the enormous things. There is hope. As you prepare yourself for communion, this is the time to remember. This is the time to reevaluate. This is the time to refocus. Your connection with God is key. Refocus with Him first. And as the Spirit speaks to you, prompts you, nudges you, respond to the Spirit as well. If, if, if He brings to mind that you have relationships that are out of sync, well, commit to fixing them, to remedying them, to taking steps to do what you can. Remember, reevaluate, refocus. We have our communion set up at the back again today. And so you can take the physical steps to move there. And imagine this is the road trip that you are in earnest pursuit of Jesus. You walk down this road that as you walk down this road that He would meet you. There's a point where He meets you. There's a point where you have that contact with Him that that will impact power and infuse you with the Spirit of God that you might be transformed 
and that you might be an agent of transformation around you. And so we say, God, thank you for the gift that we have of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for choosing to be our Savior. In the glorious heroic moments and in the wounded Savior moments where you were mistreated for us, killed unjustly for us, always committed to doing the work of the Father for the benefit of us through the power of the Spirit. May this be a template, a model that we can follow as well, following the will of the Father, empowered by the Spirit of God to embody Jesus to the world around us and to each other. We choose you again today and thank you for your blood and thank you for your broken body. Pray that you will continue to transform us and make us new. Give us a hope when all around seems hopeless. Remind us of your commitment to relationship with us. You will return. You will live with us. Prepare us for that time, we pray. And as we take these elements and put them in, we trust, God, that you will continue to work in our world, in us and through us. Thanks for all that you have done in Jesus' name. Amen. When you are ready, I welcome you to follow the pathway to the back. Take your elements there. At uh, Church Online, Wherever you need to be to get your elements, go there, take them now, and you can participate with us.